Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, August 25th, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Executive Editor, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Listeners who paid close attention to my intro just now will have heard a change in title for you, Andrew. No longer PW Senior Writer, you're now Executive Editor. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm excited for the new role. Uh, and under this new role, I have the pleasure of supporting our very talented news department at Publishers Weekly, among other duties. Um, I'll eventually be taking the reins from Jim Milliot, who will be retiring from his full-time duties in 2024. And Gyms are big shoes to fill, and these are trying times across the industry as we try to, you know, pick up the economic pieces from the COVID-19 shutdowns and try to find some sense of a new normal. So I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little nervous about the work that lies ahead, but mostly I'm just really excited and I'm eager to get going. Uh, It's a great honor to be asked uh, to fill this role and to take the mantle from Jim and to have the chance to work with some stellar colleagues, including John Morrow, who runs so much of our news operation, and Sophia Stewart, who's a fantastic young writer and reporter, and Ed Nawaka, who I've worked with for some 20 years now, and who's the finest international publishing reporter in the game, not to mention all the various regional correspondents. I, I wish I could name them all here. It's just take too much time. There's department editors and regional editors. It's just a great team, and I'm really looking forward to supporting them as best I can and continuing to provide the industry with uh, information and news that can help them do their work. As Jim Elliott retires, following a four-decade career reporting on the publishing industry, current PW executive editor Jonathan Segura will move into the role of editorial director. That's right. And, you know, first off, Jim has had some career for sure. Right. But in in terms of news and reporting and the work I'll be doing, I don't think Jim is going to be too far away, uh, at least not any time in the near future. I know he's going to continue to write and contribute to Publishers Weekly. And I'll tell you that my plan and Jim, if you're listening, I apologize in advance. Uh, my plan is to keep Jim on speed dial and to really sort of rely on his expertise and professionalism and his quick pen. Uh, he's got well known for a quick turnaround time on a piece, and I'm going to do that as much as I possibly can. Jim has been a great editor and colleague and friend to me since I wrote my first piece for PW, uh, which was back in 1999. And I've relied on his judgment and even keel and support for many years. And that is something I do not plan to give up easily. So, Jim, I know you have other things you want to do in life, but just letting you know, you're not getting away that easily. In all seriousness, I know Jim does intend to stay involved with PW. Uh, He's going to be giving up the day-to-day grind in 2024, but he will be around as an editor at large. So Jim's not entirely going away. And as you know, congrats are in order to my friend and colleague and my new boss, Jonathan Segura, who is taking over for Jim as editorial director at PW, where he'll oversee the entire editorial operation, which is pretty far flung from news and features and reviews to special content. He's got to keep the plate spinning for all these different parts of, of the operation. And, you know, I think he'll do a good job. I've known Johnny as a friend and a colleague since 2005 when he started out in the reviews department. Uh, he eventually rose to executive editor and now to editorial director. And, you know, so far it's been somewhat daunting at times, but really fun to talk with Johnny about PW's future and what's on tap. And I have to say I'm feeling very confident uh, with the future of PW. And I'm just 
really excited to get to work on this next era for PW with Johnny at the helm. The Association of American Publishers has details on industry sales for the first six months of the year. The report is mixed, though in line with expectations. Yeah, I think we're pretty much where we thought we would be at the halfway point here in 2023. Overall, we saw a solid gain in higher education course materials for the first half, and that has helped to increase total revenue in the industry by about 1.2% for the first half of the year over 2022. So that's good news. Revenue is up slightly. Uh, This, of course, according to the 1,238 publishers that report to the AAP Stat Shop program. Higher ed sales were fantastic. They rose 10.2% in the first half of the year. And adult book sales actually were up 1.6%, which is, I would point out, a return to, quote unquote, normal growth. So all of that is pretty good news. The not so good news Children's and YA books are just tumbling for some reason. The sales have fallen off a cliff, down 6.3% in the first six months of this year. And that decline in the children's YA segment countered the small increase in adult books, the the 1.6% in adult books. So trade sales going into the second half of the year are actually down by about a percent for the first half of the year. Meanwhile, the AAP numbers are fairly consistent with a report earlier this year from Circana Bookscan, which found that unit sales of print books fell 2.7% in the first six months of 2023. Remember, this is unit sales down 2.7%. AAP measures revenue. And it's worth noting that bookstore sales actually managed to increase in the first half of the year. This according to the U.S. Census Bureau. Uh, They were up about a 6.9% bump, which is pretty impressive, uh, clocking in at $3.86 billion in sales. And that suggests that booksellers, after the pandemic, are starting to take back some of the market share they gave up to other channels. So that's something, some potential good news to watch there. In the adult book segment, digital audiobook sales were very healthy. They jumped 18.8% in the first half of 2023. Ebook sales, on the other hand, declined 2.4%, but the two digital formats accounted for almost 30% of total category sales, 29.6, and that's up, actually, from the 28.2% in the first half of 2023. And over the past six months, digital audio sales have crept closer and closer to matching the revenue generated by ebook sales, at least at the companies that report to AAP, now trailing by just $50 million. That gap at this time last year was $117 million. And that prompted HarperCollins CEO Brian Murray to tell PW this week something that I think I've said myself on this show, that audio sales are going to surpass ebook sales at some point. And if current trends hold, that now looks like it could be as early as next year. Also this week, Andrew, PW reports that sales driven by book talk appear to be leveling off. Yeah, this isn't something I don't think to get too worked up about just yet, but it's certainly something to watch because, you know, as my boss Jim Milliot reported this week, a recent analysis shows that the effect of TikTok on book sales, excuse me, we'll call it book talk, the effect of book talk appears to be diminishing somewhat. Uh, The most notable sign of that softening came in July when, for the first time, sales from the roughly 180 book talk authors that BookScan actually follows, that Circana BookScan actually follows, fell compared to the prior year. Uh, The 4.5% July sales dip means that year-to-date sales, which had been up by as much as 38% through May, were only up 23% through July. And it's worth noting that total fiction, total adult fiction sales, 
have fallen every week since late June, and they're now only up 1.4% through August 12th. So what's going on here, right? BookScan analyst Kristen McLean estimates that monthly book talk author sales comps for the rest of the year are going to be at or below 2022 levels. And that final sales are actually going to be closer for book talk to around 2022 totals. And for reference, book talk authors tracked by BookScan sold about 47 million copies. It's a huge number. Uh, in 2020, which was the first year that BookScan tracked BookTok authors, sales for the group totaled 13 million, just to give you a sense of how much BookTok has skyrocketed over the last couple of years. BookScan also took a look at how BookTok author sales were faring by examining trends within this two year window from July 21 to July 2023. Uh, and in that comparison, sales of adult authors were flat in July 2023 compared to July 2022. Uh, this after increasing 9% the previous year. And while sales of young adult authors were down 1% in July 2023, this is after increasing 4% in the previous year. So the trend is softening. The trend is that we're going down a little bit here. But that's fairly normal. And Kristen McLean explains this in, in her report. Book talk author sales were just never going to continue to increase at the rate they had when the platform first started to become this major discovery engine for books in 2020. And book talk authors, of course, are facing some of the same headwinds that the industry is facing in general, including consumers, frankly, reading less in this period since COVID restrictions were lifted. So this is something that we definitely want to keep an eye on because, as McLean says, BookTok remains the industry's most important platform for discovering new writers. And what we're seeing is that just not as many new authors are making the same type of splash that they did uh, just a couple of years ago in 2021 or in 2022, even though new stars are still being made on the platform. In fact, this year's breakouts include uh, Rebecca Yeros, whose fourth wing has sold almost 400,000 copies since its release in May. Very impressive. And Carly Fortune, whose Meet Me at the Lake has sold more than 230 copies since it was published in May. So I, I guess we should look at it this way. After years of decline, adult fiction really has turned it around in recent years. We've talked about that on this show. In fact, adult fiction has been publishing's steadiest selling category for the past 18 months. Uh, unit sales of adult fiction books were up 8.5% in 2022, this after years of decline. So that's all great stuff. And in the first six months of 2023, adult fiction was the only category to register an increase with sales up 4.2%. And the biggest driver of all of those gains over the last couple of years, any publisher will tell you, is book talk. So something to keep an eye on. Last Friday, a federal judge in Austin, Texas, heard the first round of oral arguments on a motion to block HB 900, Texas's controversial new book rating law. A second hearing comes on Monday, August 28th. Yeah, and that's a little unusual, right? Because normally the way this works is you get a hearing and then you get a decision pretty quickly on these motions for injunctive relief. And as we talked about last week, time is really of the essence here because HB 900, which is Texas's new book rating law and all the mess that comes with it, is set to go into effect on September 1. So here's a little backstory, right? Judge, the judge in this case, Alan D. Albrecht, is by all accounts a smart and thoughtful guy, so there's no sense that anything is amiss with the process here, I don't think. But he is sitting by designation in Austin from his district in West Texas because the district court in Austin is shorthanded. 
So Judge Albright has a bit of a schedule pinch here with travel, etc., and his own caseload. So he set the hearing date quickly, which everyone appreciated for August 18th. But what's odd is that he didn't set a briefing schedule. So the state just didn't address the plaintiff's filings and didn't even file its own motion to dismiss the case or defend against the injunction until August 16th, which really just left a single day before the hearing to digest it, which, of course, is not enough time. So at the August 18th hearing, there was no way we could have had a full airing of all of the issues at stake here. Thus, we got a second hearing set for Monday, August 28th, which again will be in Austin. Now, that said, there was a hearing on August 18th, and you can read our story about it. Our own Texas-based Ed Nuaka was there in court, and he will be there again on Monday the 28th. And at the hearing... Judge Albright definitely appeared to be a little concerned that the law, as the plaintiffs say, was pretty vaguely written and unclear. Uh, at one point, he asked whether John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men would be deemed obscene and banned in Texas schools because it contains a rape, or E. Annie Proulx's Brokeback Mountain, or the Bible, you know, which also has explicit sexual references. He also asked after the fate of books that depict paintings by uh, his favorite painter, Caravaggio. And he noted that anything under the law, which basically takes the obscenity standard and puts it into this this law, anything that depicts a female breast below the top of the areola was considered sexual. And, and under those rules, you just excluded Caravaggio, the judge told attorneys. And he also raised a key point that we've talked about on this show, too. If the state, which it does under this law has sole discretion over how a book is rated, and they can ultimately change the ratings that are submitted by any of the publishers or vendors, then why does the burden fall on the publishers and booksellers to rate these books in the first place? So I still think there's reason to believe, given what we've heard from hearing number one, that this Texas law stands a good chance of being enjoined. And in a bit of good news, the judge did say that he still intends to rule by September 1, even though the second hearing is on August 28th and leaves him just days to come to a decision. Anyway, some drama there, so please stay tuned. We'll catch up on this case and more uh, after Labor Day, I'm afraid, because I am taking a long-awaited and much-needed vacation. But rest assured, when I get back, there's going to be plenty to talk about. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Executive Editor. Thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis, and enjoy the time off. Thanks very much. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on the program, when a fan emailed Jane Friedman about her new book, she quickly learned that her own good name was attached to a new kind of bad books. The books on sale on Amazon offered the keys to a successful writing career, with titles like A Step-by-Step Guide to Crafting Compelling Ebooks" and Strategies to Skyrocket Your Book Sales on Amazon. Jane Friedman, an author who writes on writing, has a very good name in the book business. For 25 years, she has put her name to books and blogs about the publishing industry, including The Hot Sheet, a bi-weekly newsletter for authors. But Jane Friedman didn't write any of these new books. In fact, she doesn't think anyone wrote them, but that they were manufactured by machines. It was easy to see that this was coming. It wasn't that long ago, maybe two or three years ago, uh, there was a colleague of mine, uh, Jason Boog, who was experimenting with some of these models. It was probably like a baby version of chat GPT that he was working with. But I remember him talking about it to a group of writers. And I thought, wow, um, if what he's describing 
gets more advanced, which it will, um, and then becomes public and free, which I anticipated, we're going to have an avalanche of material enter the market and probably a lot of fraudulent work as well. A good name on bad books. Next on Velocity of Content. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening.